This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Jordan Hoffman, and it is such a pleasure to speak to you this week. Uh, We are launching these episodes uh, during anniversary week, and it's a little bit fun. It's a lot fun. Are you kidding me? To be a Star Trek fan right now, there's a lot happening. There's we're on the cover of every paper, uh, every magazine. Go to an airport. We're all over the place. There's special episodes of television on Smithsonian Channel, uh, CBS uh, Morning Show, you name it. Um, and there's a massive takeover of all your uh, social media streams. Star Trek is everywhere. But for you and I, Star Trek has already been everywhere, and Star Trek will continue to be everywhere. Certainly up through next January when the new show, Star Trek Discovery, uh, hits uh, CBS All Access. And uh, as we uh, go to sleep at night, nestled with uh, Star Trek novels and comic books uh, underneath our pillow. It's a wonderful time to snuggle up with a stuffed Mugatu instead of, uh, in addition to uh, a loved one. All right, so what's going on today's episode is special. What I plan to do is launch this on the actual day, September 8th, 2016, 50 years to the day that the Man Trap, the first ever episode of Star Trek that aired to the public, showed on American television. I recently learned, and maybe I should have known this earlier, that it showed on Canadian television a few days earlier. But we love you, Canadians, but uh, USA, USA. Um Now, uh, to that end, I just want to jump to it. We have an interview with two very important people, Bijo and John Trimble. And uh, there's not really too much to set up because uh, the three of us discuss it. But I just want to let you know where we did the the interview. It was a few weeks ago, and it was at the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, the, the Trimbles go to as many conventions as they can, but they don't go to all of them. They are they are not young people. And they are, and they say it as much in the uh, in the episode. They they are not particularly uh, solvent and flush people. They are happy in their retirement, but uh, you know there isn't big money in being the number one Star Trek fan. So it was great that they were able to make it there. That the convention sent them out there, and it was also great because while I was speaking with them, they did not know that they were going to be honored with um, a special thank you 
thanks to our friend um, John Van Sitters of CBS, who we've interviewed on the show before, uh, had commissioned uh, J.K. Woodward, the artist, who I've also interviewed on the show before, to do a special drawing for them for, uh, for all their work. And if you go to the Google machine and type in J.K. Woodward, B. Joe Trimble, uh, artwork, uh, convention, throw in a few other keywords, <laughs> you'll find it. It's really very sweet. Um, now, it's possible, it's entirely possible that you're listening to this. Uh, one of my friends, uh, uh, if you're one of my listeners out there in the world, by the way, uh, I recently met my first Serbian listener. Uh, who was in New York, and uh, he gave me a wonderful gift. So his name was Milos. Uh, if you're listening, Milos, I love you. Um, and I've met now, um, and I've had a Brazilian listener contact me, so I think it's terrific how many uh, international listeners. But if you're you know, on the subway here in New York, or if you're on the, on the 405 in Los Angeles, or if you're anywhere else in between, and you're thinking, okay, cool, another episode of Engage, uh, I'm afraid to admit it, but I'm going to, who the hell's B. Joe Trimble? Who the hell's John Trimble? They were the ones during the second half of the second season of Star Trek when it became pretty evident that NBC was going to cancel the show. They prevented it from happening. They did. They did. Nobody else did. John and B. Joe Trimble, specifically B. Joe, made it happen. They are two wonderful individuals that are just fans who had the gumption to say nobody's going to do it if we don't do it. They got Star Trek renewed. They saved it. They got it its third season, and it was the third season of Star Trek, which I will readily admit is not the best season of Star Trek, although there are some real winners in there. Enterprise Incident, for God's sakes. Um, Day of the Dove, for God's sakes, and a number of others. Uh, they got the third season. If there was no third season... Star Trek would not have had the life in syndication that it had. Episodes may have floated around here and there in various channels, but it would not have been ubiquitous in the 1970s into the 1980s. It would not have been ubiquitous enough to maintain a fan base and get that animated series going. And that animated series stoked the flames of the reruns to get Star Trek The Motion Picture happening in 1979. Bijo and John Trimble are as important to the legacy of Star Trek as Gene Roddenberry and William Shatner themselves. Boom! I just threw the mic down here. Now, what's also great is that they're wonderful people, and you're going to hear it yourselves. So enough of my yapping. Let's go back now a few weeks and listen to my interview with Bijo and John, two wonderful... Uh, she's, uh, you know, and Bijo is, is, she's kind of the star of the show. I mean, John takes a backseat because she's feisty and vivacious, and she's 80-something years old with a shock of pink hair. It's a lot of fun with her. So listen to this interview and celebrate 50 years of Star Trek with two of the most important people in the entire franchise. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's now day two of the uh, Star Trek convention here in Las Vegas. And um, I have some 
I, I, I can't state it enough. Very esteemed guests, important guests. And, uh, you know, it, it takes a village to make a franchise like Star Trek. But if it were not for the two people that I'm with today, I wouldn't be here right now. You, you can't put a, too fine a point on this. Star Trek, as we know it right now, would not exist if it was not for John and B. Joe Trimble. Because, really, the show was going to be canceled after two years. And it took these two people to say, wait, we really like this show. Let's see if we can, as fans, get it to go to a third season. And that third season, which, by the way, was not the best season. No. We accept no, <laughs> no responsibility for the third season. But because it had three seasons, it, it went into syndication. Right. That was the thing. That was the threshold that it passed. And it said, aha, it now has a, a number... That means we can chop this up and we can ship it out <laughs> and, and it can play on late night TV and Sunday mornings and all across the country, across the globe forever and ever so that enough people would continue to watch it. There would be an animated series and there would eventually be a motion picture. And now we have a new series starting in January, you know, all these years yeah. later. We have movies in the theater right now. And, and like I say, I, I don't want to give you too much credit. I mean, it takes a village, like I say. Yeah. But there has to be, for every, for every battle, there has to be a first one on the field flying the flag. So I want to say, personally, thank you very much for the work you did. Because Star Trek has meant a lot to me, has gotten me through some bad times. I mean, I'm you know, an upbeat guy most of the time. But when, 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 when things get you down, you can go, well, I'm going to watch an episode of Star Trek. And that's going to take my mind off of... Yeah. The stuff yeah. that's bothering me, or I'm gonna th I'm gonna read a Star Trek book, or I'm just gonna sit in my room and think about Spock. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna sit and think about Spock instead of the garbage that's happening in my life right now, and it's gonna help out. So it, it, it works. Awesome. So for people who may not know the story, um, let's let's go back in time a little bit. Right. It's 1967. And season two has concluded. And up till this point... Well, no, it hadn't concluded yet. It hadn't yet. quite concluded. We, it, okay. Um, we had, through meeting Gene Roddenberry before Star Trek at the Worldcon in 66, uh, we'd gotten to know him, and, and uh, we'd sort of done him a favor there by getting some costumes that he'd brought into a fashion show she was running. So... Gene said, uh, well, if, if you're ever in Hollywood, call me and we'll do lunch. Now, that's a standard right. gambit. Yeah. yeah. Well, it turns out he really meant it. <laughs> but j just to back it up, were you working in, in Hollywood at all? You, no. were, you no. were just fans. You're just, yeah. you're just super fans. Like when yeah. we see them today. Well, yeah, we, it, were, we weren't what we would call super fans maybe because we were all full grown and we had two kids. Right. And, you know, we in those were, days, you know, yeah. that meant a lot too. We were active in science fiction fandom and with the science fiction conventions, with fanzines, with a whole bunch of stuff that predate Star Trek. Sure. And it was at this World Science Fiction Convention where Gene had brought three episodes of this new show to show to fans at the urging of several writers uh, and had brought three costumes that he'd hired models to wear at the thing to kind of intrigue fans and now, this is about uh, 10 days before uh, Star Trek actually aired. Right. So we're talking late August of, of 1966. Mm, yeah. 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 So 
uh, Bijo had been told with this science, science fiction and fantasy art show, I mean uh, fashion show, that she had exactly one hour, okay. no more. <laughs> and she had like, how many, 20? 20 costumes. And was, Which is a lot for, you know, to have amateurs. amateur models. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then they come back to her and tell her, all this, we promised this big Hollywood producer who's here that we can put three of his costumes in your fashion show. And she said, I can't, I, I, I'm barely going to get the models on and off the stage in an hour with what I've got. Right. Go on promising. And uh, about, what, how long? Well, it was about 20 minutes later then I had this tall, good-looking man say, you know, saying, can I talk to you for a little while? My name is Gene Roddenberry. And we'd never heard of it. Right. <clears throat> and right. I said, um, sure, good for a cup of coffee, let's go. And so uh, we, uh, you know, it was time to take a break on the practice anyway. And I, you know, after we went to the coffee shop and um, a few, you know, few minutes later that silver-tongued t- silver devil had talked his way into my uh, fashion <laughs> show. But the girls, seeing a... A holiday weekend uh, job go down the drain. Had offered to help with the fashion show, you know, start do this, be be backstage starters and and so on. And uh, so the models were actually uh, very re- responsible for helping run that. Well, Jean was grateful and, um, as I say, invited us. Uh, Every any time we came down from over, right? So he's like, "Oh, you two guys helped us out yeah. because that first convention, you're yeah. just you're just building buzz for the new show, right. and let's you know let's not underplay it. The, the costumes were a big selling point <laughs> oh. for that. Well, show. he yeah. brought uh, two uh, Muds Women costumes Whoa. and the cute little crossover jumper from uh, uh, what. Um, what are little girls made of? Oh, uh, Andrea's yeah, outfit. Yeah, yeah. That is the sexiest outfit in all uh, 50 years of Star Trek. Almost, yes, I'll tell you. And and so he had found a tiny model that je- that would fit that costume, and she looked dynamite. And when she walked through the convention floor, I, you know, you could just hear all of the male eyes going <laughs> click, 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 watching her. Uh, and they were fun. The models were actually... Uh, uh, really fun people to be around, and that made it all the better. So, um, all right, so you knew the guy, and then, uh, so you became friendly, and Mm -hmm. then the show goes on the air, and you're immediately hooked. Oh, yeah, that's and, um, and And you're connected with other fans, because you're already involved in fanzines and, 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 uh, you know, science fiction conventions, so you'd been in communication with other super fans, and then... By the middle of the second season, you start hearing the the rumblings that even though the show is doing well in the ratings, well, there's, 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 there are conspiracy yeah. theorists about why the show was canceled, but um, there were rumblings that NBC wanted to pull the plug. Oh and, yes, they did. And that's when you guys sprung well, to action. NBC first wasn't wasn't happy about getting the show. You know, Lucille Ball was the person right. who had her studio, Desilu, uh, sponsor, I mean, uh, put on... Bankroll. Both. Yeah, Bankroll. it was sort of an independent production that was then yeah. sold to NBC. And right. From, and NBC executives, first, they had a meeting with Gene, and they realized, here's a loose cannon. Right. He is going to do weird things, and we are very mundane people. We don't want weird things. Right, you right. know. And so, uh, uh, right away, it was off to a bad start. And... Um, uh, then NBC kind of did all the little tricks they could to to kill off the show, and it, the show was actually in danger in the first season. Right. 
and Harlan Ellison and a couple of people, other writers, spearheaded a, a little letter writing campaign, but they only asked a few fans and then the writers, which you know basically said, this is the only show that is hiring actual writers right, right. to do the story, and if it's it goes fiction, away, right. science fiction, yeah. you know, and, and then if if it goes away, there goes some really good jobs, and but unfortunately, the appeal at that time was very very limited. Yeah, and M my know, understanding also is that the, even though the ratings were good, mm -hmm. it was just a very very expensive show to make, well, so the profit margins were not well. High. As a matter of fact, that's what caused uh, Lucy to sell. Desilu to Paramount was the fact that they couldn't afford to, to right. the, produce the show any longer. Right. It was, and it was also uh, at the same time as Mission Impossible. It was a double. Right. They had done two yeah. big bets. Yeah. And both of the shows were doing well, but part of the reason they were doing well is that they were expensive. You know, yeah. they were expensive they were, shows. To and do. everything had to be done, remember, by hand, mm -hmm. not not uh, uh, by. Computers. computers, yeah, you know, sure, didn't sure. have computers at that time, and so the real result was that if you had something happening on an alien planet or with, uh, you know, you would have little puppets or you would have, you know, it, a lot of stop action going sure. on, and um, all of this is expensive nowadays. Paylock's ship would take a, it took half a year to create, yes. and now it's a little yellow dot on a yeah. thing. Right? I, I just, <laughs> I just love that. I mean, to me, the you know, the new technology is. Utterly amazing. Yeah, and but um, the um, but there is something to be said yeah. about the handmade stuff. You know, there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a quality to it. I mean, you if know? you if you um, ever get a chance to see uh, George Powell's puppet tunes that he put out during World War II mm. in Germany and before, well, no, and before World before War, War II, yeah. uh, after Hitler had come to power, uh, there were some puppet tunes that really cut into. And these oh, were really? these were all stop action animation, claymation is the closest yeah. I could describe it. And and by the way, all the Nazis were depicted as uh, as uh, nuts and bolts. Oh. Anyway, the um, uh, uh, and and he had to leave Germany because he got word that he was going to be arrested. You know, sure. And, yeah. There's a lot of that early. Yeah. Do, you, do you know the Czech animator Carol Zeman or Zelman? Yeah. yeah. He um, also did some some amazing stuff. You know, decades earlier than than anything was happening here, in and Hollywood mm -hmm. took for his ideas. They're yeah. like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna that's a good idea yeah. that he was creative. <laughs> and because it was in in Czech was it Czechoslovakia at the time, they had no money at all. So it was mm -hmm. all he came up with these with these ideas. Amazing. And yeah, well, um, George Powell was doing this in a friend's basement. You oh, know, wow. uh, uh, the the little stop action things, and uh, he escaped Germany. Uh, and came to the United States, and at that time was just told, well, the puppet tunes won't fly, they're just, you know, because they're too topical. Yeah. And uh, then he went into doing the movies that right. he's famous for. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so, wait, let's get back now to the second season of Star Trek. Right. Okay. You're starting, sure. because you're connected to other people who know people, uh, who have their ears to the ground, oh, I know a guy mm -hmm. who works production in this, oh, he helps out well, with the special actually, effects. Well, actually, we were on the set of... Uh, watching them film some one of the climactic parts of the deadly years oh and uh it's the scene where shatner his back he's he's back to the young younger shatner right. okay. and the aged one and he jumps down off the upper part of the bridge down to where the command chair is and then grabs his back so that there's kind of a twinge from having been the aged person. right yeah and the director made him do it about 
six or seven times. I think, you know, claiming that it wasn't quite right. Okay. You know, I think actually what he was doing was tweaking Shatner. But <laughs> <laughs> in any case, we noticed that the whole atmosphere on the set was different than we'd seen other times we'd been right. watching there. Uh, so this was not your first time on the set? No. Oh, no, we'd been on the set several times. Yeah. Um, it, it was a very down crew at this time. Yeah. And we thought, God, there's a whole difference here. So we asked around for a little bit. And, and no one and wanted, nobody to, talk wanted to talk about it. So we did what you do when you really want to know what's going on. You went over to craft services. <laughs> they, this, is the, this is the guy who brings the coffee and donuts right, to right. the set. Yeah. And they are kind of the radar, radar O'Reilly's of, of the movie business. Right, right, because right. They, learn, they find out all the gossip. Yeah, Everybody they, needs a cup of coffee. They yeah. know what's yeah. going on before anybody else does. And the guy at Craft Services, yeah, he said, it's not official yet, but the words come down that it's probably going to be canceled at the end of this season. Mm. So we had to leave because we still lived in Oakland at the time. And we're driving up the Central Valley, and we're talking about this and how it was such a difference and what have you. And that it, if the show was going to be canceled, that would, you know, that would really be disappointing. Yeah. And I turned to her and I said, there ought to be something we could do about that. Right. <laughs> the, the, no, yeah. For a minute yeah. you were down, but then you yeah. heard the trumpets blare. Well, th this man should know better than to, you know, lay a glove like that in front of me. And I said, yes, they ought to be something. And so, so then we spent the rest yes. of the trip formulating what we could do. Battle plan. And this, we, yeah, and this was, by the way, completely new because nobody had ever done this. Nobody had ever. Uh, yeah. No, no and, one had ever. When TV yeah. shows would come and go, and that was it. You were yeah. you ate what you were fed. Well, and this and, was the and, first time yeah. that fans would say, "No, we demand more of this." Well, there, there there were certainly fans out there who wrote their individual letters, you know, and yeah. you know, and and shot off snarky letters to the to the uh, networks or the studio about this. But no, you know, it hadn't been organized, and we knew it had to be organized. Now, this is before computers, yeah. and this is before cheap photocopy uh, printing. Yeah, yeah. And so we're, you know, we're. We were up against. It's hard to explain to the kids today because, uh, I mean, bless their hearts. We say this. We we did it before computers. And one one youngster says, "You didn't even have a laptop." <laughs> <laughs> so we we formulated the the outlines of what we were going to do, and uh, then we said we got back to Oakland. We said, "Well, you know, we'd better." phone Gene and find out if he's actually thrown in the towel or if he's trying to keep the show going. Yeah. And so we phoned down and uh, Gene came on the line and he says, told us, that he had just had a staff meeting saying if there was only some way we'd contact the fans and we <laughs> fell in his lap. <laughs> All right. Now, so. was was this exactly that dramatically true? We don't know. Gene, <laughs> after all, Gene was a storyteller, right. right? And he was a good one. But and he and he always sounded sincere. So what? You know. And and um, there may have been a time lapse in there, but I'm sure it actually happened because yeah. you know the studio kept thinking, well, we know there are lots of fans out there, but how do we reach them? Right. It was a different yeah. era. You and couldn't. We yeah. we knew how to do that. So you, you then went to your index cards and your Rolodex? And <laughs> no, actually, no, actually, what we did was we formulated this, this letter that gave points that, that, you know, things to say, things not to do. Mm. <laughs> and uh, we 
then at the end of it, we said, um, what we want you to do is write a letter, copy this information, give it or send it to 10 friends, mm. and ask each of them to write a letter and, send, and copy this and send it out to their friends. And So it was the power of 10. Power of 10, yeah. yeah. And it, it worked. Uh, we also got the Do you full, have an estimate of how many people actually sent in as a result well, of this? No, really, because, well. <laughs> okay. Uh, a young man came to Gene after the renewal and, you know, his third season was going on and claimed that he'd worked for a computer company that NBC had had to send the letters out to 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 actually do something with computers. Really? And that there were a million letters. Whoa. Now. We're not sure of that. It's a nice round number. Oh, I love it. I love it. We love the numbers. Was that true or was he just putting Gene on to try and get a job with him. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we, we can't, we can't, and of yeah. course NBC never told us, they wouldn't tell us anything. Right, So, but much, it was enough. It clearly yeah, it, was, obviously, it was yeah. not just a hundred. Well, later later on, I'm, we met a, a NBC, uh, NBC executive uh, at on the Paramount lot, and he said, well, we only got 10,000 letters. And my reply was, if fandom can change a network's mind with only 10,000 letters. We must be more powerful than we thought. <laughs> that was not what he wanted to hear. Right. <laughs> so that was it. So then yeah. then the show, you know, the, yeah. the, the show got renewed for the third season. But, but also, more importantly, you became inexorably linked to the Star Trek story. Yes. And um, that led to your published work. Which is the of all of the Star Trek books that have been written, it has the coolest name of them all. Yeah. <clears throat> Star Trek Concordance, yeah. <laughs> which is cooler than the Star Trek Compendium. Well, yeah, which that, is another cool book yeah. that you did not work on. No, but I, they were clearly trying to get a name. Like, what's as cool as Concordance? I don't know, Compendium. <laughs> Close, exactly, but no cigar. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, that came out right on top of my book, and uh, it was quite obviously, you know, he was. Had been and docking were, my footsteps. Actually, there were parts of it that were wholesale lifted. Mm -hmm. Oh, the companion just, oh, yeah. just ripped off the oh, concordance? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. going back home and burning my copy. <laughs> no, no, don't do, that. In the fire. don't do that. Don't do that. Each each book, each book that uh, is put out uh, in the dictionary or encyclopedia form uh, certainly builds on another book, uh, certainly builds on what has gone before. However, um, the and they add things. Uh, people have their own agenda. People have their own viewpoint. And so each book is going to be different, as you as you well know by reading all yeah. of this stuff now. Yeah. I've got to say, Mike Okuda, Mike and Denise Okuda's uh, oh, yeah. book, he openly acknowledges the concordance and what a what a a uh, an aid it was to him. Yeah. In in doing the much broader book. What what do you did. what do you guys think of Memory Alpha online? Do you play around on there sometimes or? I, you know, we we actually don't spend a lot of time do uh, doing that. But I I don't know about Memory Memory uh, Memory well, Alpha. But we'll look it up. Memory Alpha is a fan sourced. It's like a it's like <coughs> Wikipedia, but it's Wikipedia oh. just for Star Trek. All right. So it's fan sourced, and it is. I mean, it's just it's it does it does the one thing that a book can't do, which is if you were to print it out, it would be seven zillion pages. Right. It's just yeah. every little thing has a link, and every alien species, you know, every extra just just notes and notes and notes and pages and pages and pages. It's it's definitely yeah. the next generation of a book, but you can't bring it with you to the beach. So you know, that's a different. <laughs> well, a, no, but that I mean, that's wonderful because 
the having the information well on anything out there is is more for the f- fans, whatever you're fans of, to read, and more information that is now literally part of the universe and and will not ever be forgotten. Right. And that, now, so the concordance was that was it was not the very first Star Trek book, but it was the first Star Trek reference book I think yes. published, and. Um, <clears throat> what you know back then it was a different time was it a quote unquote officially licensed or it sort of came no, out of no, no. it came out of like what looked like old, what mimeographs and it then was. were they actually <laughs> mimeographs or it was, was that actually mimeographs t- mimeograph. tell the young people what mimeographs are cuz they sure as heck don't yes <laughs> it's a it's essentially you type the information into onto a stencil it's a it's a tissue sheet that's got wax on it Whoa. and the typewriter keys Look up typewriters, kid. Um, come up and strike this and make the impression for the letter. And then you put this on a on a machine that's got a big drum. Yeah. And inside the drum is ink. Look up ink. Right. <laughs> and you twirl it, right? You spin yeah, it you around. Spin it around. John, John was hand. the one who hand cranked. So you hand cranked the concordance in yeah. your garage in the backyard basement. in, in yeah, the basement. basement yeah and and did you end it to hurt your hand i mean did uh, it uh, did you get sore after a while or you're like oh yeah, well yeah i tried to alternate arms right uh, and <laughs> as you're doing it as and it's going into the late i was like i'm doing this for captain kirk i'm serving the federation <laughs> by doing this no i think it was just a uh, by that time it, it i'll tell you something by that time it become a force of itself right and more and more fans wanted the book uh we didn't do them all at once it was, it was basically sort of began to be on demand and we'd run off a hundred or so at a time wow uh, because we know for one thing we had we, to get the money we, to get the paper and ink them, you know and we made enough money off of them that we could go with we could then start doing them on offset press okay make somebody else and, crank them yeah, at that yeah. point and offset what did the, what did the, what did the, very expensive to being affordable yeah so we yeah. could do it what did it let if we could go back in time to the late 1960s what what did you charge, if you remember, for a hand-cranked oh, concordance. Gosh, I don't remember, but I do remember that one young man wrote a violent objections to the charge, which was, by the way, very reasonable. It's probably it was like, like three five, bucks, five, five, three or yeah, four bucks, five, yeah. five, and he said, "So the, it it averages out X amount of cents per page." And I don't feel that's a good value. All right, make your own like, damn book. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, then, how about that? Yeah, we, we got a lot of rather wonderful and uh, strange letters. And, you know, we, if we don't answer Star Trek's fan mail anymore, but we get, uh, you know, on, uh, we're online, we're on Facebook, and we get some really interesting things. Yeah. And, and loads of fun in some cases. Uh, a, a man came up to us yesterday and asked us to autograph his copy of that original offset yeah. uh, concordance. And he says, he said, I was in your house 40-some years wow. ago and had to collate my own copy. <laughs> and this is it. <laughs> oh, that's great. We, we were shameless. I mean, our children, who could barely reach the top of the table, would would uh, collate the, the magazine and put it together. And, you know, instead of people... Wow, kids that young, and I, I'm a hot, big advocate with of child labor, you know, <laughs> especially when they work for ice cream. Right, know. right. <laughs> or no ice cream if they don't do it, yeah, right? Exactly. So, so just for people who don't know what the concordance was, it, it, I mean, you got to remember, this was a time when the only people who had computers were, were, were NASA and, and, mm, and that's yeah. it, and, and yeah. major universities. So it was um, primarily, although not exclusively, 
simply information, you yeah. know, just re- reference information about, you know, Starfleet, about the ships, about each episode. So Wolf in the Fold, you know, what was it starting? What's the what's the synopsis? You know, what happens? And then yeah. information about the characters. So like, you know, a little dossier on Scotty, a little dossier on, on Spock. Right. And then there also were some sketches and there was some yes. fan art. We, had, we, we got fan art from a, a lot of fans, really delightful. And um, uh, we are actually looking to get the concordance updated. Uh, and uh, we would put it online, online and we would, we're contacting the artist and, uh, to get their permission to use their art. And I don't think had anything like this existed before. I mean, there had no. been like fan books, like there had been popular television shows, particularly for kids, like, I don't know, the... Howdy Doody show, whatever. They would have like a comic book that they would sell to the kids. Um, There had been something called the Index to Science Fiction Magazines. But that was just for science fiction in general. Right, right. Nothing for Star Trek at that time. I mean, for other things that were beloved by fans, like Lord of the Rings, for example, Mm -hmm. was there ever a fan-created text that that one could buy to, to just sort of... Well, not before... The yeah, I mean, no. this is really this is really trailblazing stuff. Yeah, well, this yeah. is this is why we had to do it ourselves. Yeah. we shopped it around to some publishers, and nobody was interested. And then suddenly, Ballantine, uh, a publishers got interested, and um, uh, they they published the first uh, uh, concordance. What the that, one yeah, that the, people could buy in the, stores? The, yeah. The, yeah, the one with the wheel. Yeah, no, explain and, this. The, uh, so yeah, the front uh, of and what year was this when Ballantine published that? That uh, was. Sometime in the middle 70s. Middle 70s, okay. So uh, the Concordance was already a fan favorite, This, as we've discussed, the mimeograph version. But then one publisher got smart and said, hey, there's, there's, there's an audience for this. Yes. And they, they, they made it you know, a little glossier, a little, ni- you know, a little more professional looking. But the cover had like a wheel. Like, like uh, they, I remember yeah. my mother used to have a phone book like this. It looked like a, a, yes. a rotary dial. Mm-hmm. So well, if yeah. you had a friend whose last name started with L, you would then dial it to right, L right, and the right. book would open at L. So the wheel on the front of your book, what did it do exactly? Uh, it, uh, it had the, uh, the code letters for each of the episodes so that you could wheel around and find that and then find what page it was on. Uh, and by code letters, I mean like uh, if uh, the uh, assignment Earth was A E, yeah, right, right, uh, and okay. so you knew to look for that uh, because it had the list just inside the, the you know uh, book. So you don't but, have to flip around. I mean, that, no, I mean no, that's, yeah. that's and also it the whole thing was uh, not just a wheel; it was the uh, hull of the Enterprise, the saucer, and yeah, and okay. the, the the book the cover was a wrap around Enterprise. Yeah. So you got the nacelles on the other side on the back, and uh, it was a very popular thing. People got uh, even when the uh, little center uh, gizmo that held the wheel in uh, uh, broke or fell out they would put a brad in it or they'd come up with some other way to keep mm. keep that going you know it was kind of fun and I'm, I'm very pleased when they uh, a fan brings up a well-used right uh, one because <laughs> this was not a fancy book to put on the shelf and you know it was a reference book and daily, you should use it as a reference you needed yeah. it for daily use yes, so wait exactly. i need to remember a fact yeah. about something and, well you know uh, i'll have you know i did because i knew that i was talking to you today just mm-hmm. about an hour ago i looked online mm-hmm. and uh fans who are hearing about this for the first time you can buy them for you know, used, right. but for a relatively low fee. Exactly. The, the the book with the wheel that we're talking about, you can find it for six bucks. Really? Um, yeah. yeah. And the uh, I'm glad that, the, that the mimeograph one. I mean, it would be better if some of that money went to your pocket. Yeah, but it's it doesn't. Used, but, but you know, <laughs> that's at this point you've given up on that. Right. But um, 
And the original mimeographs, you can find them online for about twenty bucks. <laughs> um, at, and a typewriter, well, you know. You know, so you can you can. I was uh, I do not own a copy of the original ones that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. but I'm going to I'm going to buy one today because oh, I feel like I should have one. In, at this point. in, in fact, we don't have a copy of that. Well, no, you can get it for twenty so, bucks. Yeah, I just looked this morning. Know, you know, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but that's. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's been a fun ride on, on that, that kind of thing. And now uh, I'm working with a uh, gentleman, uh, Bob Littlepage in uh, Colorado. Colorado? Yes. Uh, who um, is helping me put together an online um, updated, updated version. version simply because even though, uh, the you know, it, there are other versions uh, of, and I mean, uh, other episodes and other shows of Star Trek, um, this was the first, and it's a piece of history now. And that's, yeah. you know, and uh, who knew? Who knew things were going to right. become historic? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so, um, uh, you know, we, we decided we'd put it online. Yeah, no, that's terrific. I, it's great. I mean, pe- people, I mean, a lot of the fans here that have been around the franchise a mm-hmm. long time, they, they started with you guys. So, But then later, of course, and... Uh, a sort of a thank you uh, when the motion picture eventually got made. Uh, was it Gene specifically requested to have you guys on on set? Yes. It was, it was, yes. He, there was the big shot, uh, shot in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And by the way, we did an episode of this podcast a few weeks ago devoted exclusively mm-hmm. to the motion picture. We talked about mm-hmm. it for about ninety minutes. Um, there's the big shot where everybody, where Kirk is briefing everybody in that giant rec room, right. and Gene said, "I want a couple of people who deserve to be in this set." And it yeah. was you two and uh, a dozen others. A few others, or, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and the funny, fun part of it was uh, all the costumes had already been made. Yeah. And they were made for women from 5'6 on up. Uh-huh. I'm 5'3. Uh-huh. So I'm the only person uh, in the uh, whole audience that has, I mean, a cold crew thing, that has a wrinkled uniform because <laughs> I'm not, I don't fit it. And by the way, I am not the little lady in the front row in the two-piece tan uniform. Oh, people think you are and that's not you. That is Mrs. Robert Wise. Ah, okay. <laughs> and you notice that her uniform fits? Because he was going to hear about it. Oh, yes, indeed. But when we met, we looked at each other and it was, you know, it's like we could be relatives. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. we're not identical, but we could be relatives. And, uh yeah. So I said, I, you know, I said, you got some Irish in your background somewhere. <laughs> she said, yes. Well, that, that's a heck of a victory lap, being yeah. officially in the, uh, yeah. in, the, uh, in the crew there. Well, so. John would have been, but his job uh, uh, was very heavy at that point, and he couldn't get Uh-oh. free. And that was so terrible. Because, because, see, originally they said it was going to be two days, because they figured with that many, about 140 uh, uh, fans yeah. on the deck, it would take longer to film than usual. Well, they they wouldn't give John two days off. It turned out to be only one day. He mm. could have he, he could have they could have fudged on that one. But we got to quitting time that day, and the director Robert Wise said, "We're doing so well. If we continue on right now, we can finish this whole job in today." And, well, none of the extras had any say on that, but, right. of course, uh, we were all thrilled because we weren't being paid extra, by the way, and neither were the uh, real extras, yeah. but we were, uh, you know, longer on the bridge set and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
it uh, wrapped at about 11.30 at night. Oh, wow, long day. And I'll tell you, uh, well, and we were all up at about 4 o'clock in the morning to, to begin with. My feet hurt clear up to my hat brim, and I was so tired, I couldn't even go with some of them to the Mexican restaurant across the street for a margarita. <laughs> I figured, you know, that would be it. And so, and we went home, and I don't even remember going to bed, you know, that, but boy, was that an experience. Yeah, no, that's you know? a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. Well, cool. Well, listen, I, but I, I do wanted to mention that I was, you know, reading, like I said, I was, I was looking for your old books mm-hmm. online, and... And, and reading about your work, because you, you continue to work in in costuming and makeup and films. Oh, yes. And you worked on some really fun films back in the day, in addition <laughs> to Star Trek. Yes, you I You know did. where I'm going with this, right? I know where you're going with you it. You worked on the great soft-core parody film Flesh Gordon. Yeah, I did. Still I, sci-fi. Your love for sci-fi <laughs> continues. I, I did the makeup, and here's uh, I had a lot of friends who actually were working in it, you know, yeah. and, and a couple of them wouldn't admit it until a few years ago. Aww. Dennis Murin, yeah. Oscar-winning uh, cinematographer. Worked on Flesh Gordon. Worked on Flesh Gordon. Um, uh, Mike Miner, uh, who later worked for uh, Star Trek. Um, and just some, you know. But this was a tiny budget movie, oh, right? Oh my goodness, yeah. You but know. it became for people who don't know, Flesh Gordon mm-hmm. is exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a parody of Flesh Gordon, but it's a little bit risque. I mean, by today's L- effort, by today's standards, uh, you know, it's, it's very tame. really and, and but it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very funny. It's a goofy. Yeah. Um, it almost has like a Ray Harryhausen style animation <laughs> in it. It almost is, <laughs> and and people, you know, is like. Um, the actor they they um, hired to play Emperor uh, Wang. Emperor Wang, not yeah, Emperor Me. No, Emperor Wang. <laughs> John is cracking up. Course, by the yeah, way. He just went. He just he was allowed to just go over the hill with yeah. dialogue and everything and acting, and they wanted him to look like a three hundred year old drag queen. Mm-hmm. I quote the director, and um, he was you know, about what twenty three. Yeah, he was about twenty. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm looking, thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do about that? And he said, I have a life mask. Yay, we're home free. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought it. He was a doll. He put up with all this makeup uh, that we had to put on him for this. And throughout the movie, he's getting older and stranger. And, you know, uh, it just, so you know. They'd film. Yeah. And then she'd come home and make the prosthetics to put on him the next day on that life mask. Oh, wow. And yeah. I was standing there while I'm doing this with a phone in my ear, a telephone. Go look that up, too. And, um, <laughs> Talking to little Ricky Baker. Whoa! He was, the Rick Baker? Yes. Well, he had been at one of our conventions. We'd given him a room to do makeup in. And yeah. so, anyway, his mother wouldn't let him do this movie because he was too young. <laughs> so so he, having, was on, he was a teenager. Or, or, yeah. yeah was, oh and so God, I, yeah. I had never done prosthetic before. I just didn't tell anybody that. Yeah. And so I phoned him and I said, oh, hon, walk me through this. And he did. He gave wow. me the list of go, go down to get, and I, I got the, the stuff, and here I am. We've got the living room table covered with newspapers, and I've got the life mask, and I'm, I'm listening to him and creating. So, you know, I had a real crick in my neck when I was finished. Because, <laughs> but I do the prosthetics according to him. Yeah. And then he gave me all the instructions on application. Wow. 
and that was uh, so I he, was yeah. it a fun production or was it, it, a, it was a rushed kind of or well was it was it a good time? Yeah. Oh, it was rushed but it was yeah. fun yeah. I mean it was terribly fun because the people just were you know they were they were romping through it yeah. you can tell that if you look at it you know? oh it's a very and, campy oh uh, very yeah, and, yeah. and one of the great lines that Emperor Wang had is um, is you know they were, he was telling them you know well the deep and dire things he was going to do uh, in the background are these girls tied down and being tickled with feathers so, so innocuous so silly yeah. and the sets were like virtually cardboard and he slams out of the room and not only does he catch the end of his cape in the doorway but the whole set <laughs> waggled and there was this little silence like what do we do now and he opens the door again and he says that goes for your little dog too <laughs> And closes the door. And they left it in because it was just so silly, you know. Yeah. And that was the kind of thing that happened. What was the know? premiere like? Of Was there a big premiere? There was they no read big the- premiere. Oh, now, no. You know, today there would have been, but right. in those days it just opened somewhere and that was about right. it. And then know? it disappeared, but then it became something of a, of a hit on VHS yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Everything you guys touch becomes a big hit <laughs> later on. And right? I wish, <laughs> yes, I wish we were independently wealthy by now. <laughs> where's, you know? our, where's our piece of the right. action? Well, you know, and, you know, we get to go to conventions <laughs> because they invite. Us, right, because right. we can afford it. So, uh, <laughs> well, However, because yeah. of Star Trek, yes, we have been to conventions all over the United States, yeah, into Canada, to England, to Ireland, oh yeah, to Germany, uh, to Australia, New Zealand. Wow! I mean, we've we've traveled a lot. Yeah. And uh, how ma- how yeah. many how many years have you been married? Fifty-six years. Fifty-six years. All right. So you didn't make a fortune, but you've been married for fifty-six years. And we have three great daughters. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, we may be just senior citizens on uh, a fixed income, but uh, we're pretty wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. In that sense, and also, the payoff for Star Trek has been that we have met so many wonderful people. Yeah. And some of them have become friends. Uh, we have a, a dear friend in, in Germany. She's a policewoman from Lüneburg and was a very big, ha, still she is. Was. A very, I think she retired. Uh, yeah, uh, but a very big Star Trek fan. We went to Germany at one point for a convention. We'd extended our ticket. Uh, and um, she rented a van, uh, loaded up Rex, the uh, her canine uh, police dog, and off we went seeing a great deal of, of Germany just vacation like you know yeah yeah and, and, and that's because of yeah. star trek you met these star- and yeah. the other day you were uh, yesterday the other day you you mm-hmm. were on stage and mm-hmm. people sprang to their feet a, hero, <laughs> a hero's welcome what, so. a, what, <laughs> what i mean that was a big surprise and very yeah. pleasing i mean it, that's quite wonderful yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah well again i, I want to wrap it up here i've taken up a lot of your time but mm-hmm. uh, again i mean like i said it takes a village to make star trek is there's not it one does there's not one father there's not one parent but a, a lot of what we love about it really was dependent on the work that you guys did. And on a personal level, Star Trek has meant a lot to me over the years. So I, oh. I can't thank you guys enough for what you did back then. Thank you very well, thank much. You. All right, you got it. And that's going to be it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, Anniversary Week here. Thank you to B. Joe and John. Thank you also, Anniversary Week, to our last episode, Dave Schilling, for going on a deep dive with me on The Man Trap. We love Dave Schilling. And uh, we'll be back soon with some more stuff, this time from Mission New York, the uh, Star Trek convention at the Jacob Javits Center, where your host, that's me, uh, did some fun 
live activities, and we're going to share them with you real soon here on Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.